0: Posting Up is sponsored by Bolin Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to BowlingBranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. Promo code POSTINGUP.
1: Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming today with a podcast with my man, James Herbert from CBSSports.com. Talked to James about the Knicks hired David Fisdale. James was at their press conference today. Talked to him about the Toronto Raptors, place he grew up and where he spent several years covering the league from there before he came to New York. Uh, talked about their season ending once again at the hands of LeBron James and the Cavaliers uh, on Monday night. Talked to him about... Uh, the other series in the Eastern Conference, the Sixers and the Celtics, what we both got wrong about Boston and uh, what's to come for, for Boston, assuming they win that series. And we also previewed the potential Eastern or Western Conference finals with the the Cavs and Celtics and the uh, Warriors and Rockets. So it was a fun podcast as always with James. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And with that, let's get right to it. All right, James, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, strange uh, 24 hours. James, for those of you who don't know, uh, used to live in Toronto, now lives in New York. And so yesterday, obviously, Raptors season ends once again at the hands of LeBron. And then today you went to what is basically an annual rite of passage for those of us who I uh, used to live in New York and now you live in New York, which is to go to a Knicks introductory press conference for a coach. Uh, is they basically have one every year of uh, this century. So, uh, what was uh, what was the scene, James, at the uh, the physio presser today?
0: Uh, I mean, it was is sort of standard. Like the the Knicks had. Like, a few of their players there, and they had some, like, staff people that were there to, like, clap after. Of Um, course. Mills and Perry and Fizdale made their introductory comments. And then, you know, a bunch of questions about what Fizdale wants to do, what style of play he wants to have, how he wants to deal with Porzingis, and – Anyone who has interviewed David Fizdale, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting, knows this is precisely the kind of place where he will shine. Like, he is an extremely charismatic guy. Yep. Uh, He he gives very sharp, smart answers uh, without sort of beating around the bush. Like, he gets to the point. I think he came off as really likable. I just – I'm not really into the whole, like, did he win the press conference or not? Like, you (laughs) knew he was going to come off well. Like, to me, it's just – Like you said, anybody
1: who's ever met Fiz knew he was going to do well in that setting.
0: Yeah, of course. So – I mean, for me personally, like I like I haven't been to an NBA related thing. I haven't been traveling like since the end of the regular season. So it's just sort of nice to see some um, some people I know again. And, um, (laughs) you know, to 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 hear what he had to say about Porzingis was interesting. I wrote a column on that today. Um, But I mean, even trying to look down that road, it's like. I wrote about his relationship with Porzingis and how important that is to the franchise. But we don't even know when he's going to start working with him because we have no idea when Porzingis is coming back. So I think Fisdale is going to be in for a very challenging and difficult first season, despite the sunny optimism that he projected today. But I'm also like I'm pretty optimistic about the hire in general.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, you I wrote a column yesterday about the Knicks. Um, and and like I said, like I referenced at the top, I kind of laid out the setup that Fizdale walks into, which is he's the twelfth coach this franchise has had since the, tar- the start of the 2001 season. Yeah, 2001, 2002, which is insane. Like averaging a, more than a coach every two years is bonkers. Like that, there's there's a reason why the Knicks have been a dysfunctional train wreck. And even if you remove uh, the interim coaches from that, it's still not it's you know one you know Herb Williams was dinner twice it's still 10 coaches in 17 years so however you want to slice it the Knicks have had no stability there and no direction and I do think you know I thought it was interesting at the press conference when they fired after they fired Jeff Hornacek Steve Mills brought up a bunch of times how the Knicks are going to be able to be patient this time things are going to be different in New York we have a we're going to rebuild we're going through the draft Um, he made very clearly set expectations low for once And I think with a front office that's aligned now with Scott Perry and Steve Mills and David Fisdale, the Knicks have the end the fact that the Knicks have all their picks going forward. The fact that Porzingis is coming back from this injury. uh, They have Frank Nilakina who they drafted last year. The Knicks do finally have a chance to have a actual rebuild that goes through multiple years and multiple draft picks and could actually set them up for once to be in a position to actually build the foundation of a good team instead of just lurching from one quick fix to another. And the only other time that's happened in this century was when Donnie Walsh and Mike D'Antoni came in in 2008. And it took a couple of years, but that led to the one sustained run of any kind of success the Knicks have had in 20 years. So I I do think for Knicks fans, there should be at least some level of optimism that uh, I think they did hire a good coach. And I think that th- this does at least give them a chance to have a long-term plan that they just haven't had really in decades now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because I think Knicks fans tend to be – I don't want to paint them all with a broad brush, but I mean they tend to be pretty cynical and jaded about the organization from ownership on down. Um, Understandably and I think, so. Yeah, of course, given given recent history. Um, but I, I do think the reaction to the Fisdale firing uh hiring has been mostly positive i think it's it's muted in a way because i don't think anybody wants to say oh here's the guy that's going to fix all our problems i think they there's still a sense of wanting the front office to sort of prove that it's up to the job and wanting to see what they do in this year's draft wanting to see how nilakina develops wanting to see what other moves management kind of has up its sleeve um because ultimately it, if fizzle doesn't have the right pieces what's he going to do um to right. me uh the the Porzingis injury as big of a bummer as it was at the time and believe me like I was going to those Knicks games (laughs) in the second half of the season and we were both at that
1: we were both at that uh Knicks Pistons game right in early April which was which just really it really (laughs) summed up uh the state of both franchises at that point just a, a very depressing couple of hours
0: Yes. Uh, Pistons, and other franchises where we're not exactly sure where they're going now. Correct. But, uh,
1: we'll get to that.
0: Yeah. But um, as far as the Knicks go, like as hard as that was to watch, with the exception of the Trey Burke resurgence, which is pretty fun. Um, the Porzingis injury is interesting because I remember before the trade deadline, uh, Porzingis made a few strong statements about wanting to make the playoffs, wanting the team to be uh, buyers rather than sellers and wanting to win badly. And. This sort of gave them an excuse to tank a little bit. I don't think they tanked hard enough. I think they won some games they shouldn't have, and they're now not in the most optimal position going into this lottery. Uh, but it, it allowed them to lose more games, and I think it gives them the freedom next season, depending on when Kristaps comes back, to potentially be pretty bad again. And if they can add a good player in this year's draft, another good player in next year's draft, and then you have Nilakina, Porzingis, and like eventually some of those bigger contracts are going to come off the books – uh, the future starts to look a little brighter. You have to nail those picks. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think there's at least a world in which uh, with this Fisdale hiring, um, with the fact that, they have an opportunity to get somebody good in this draft. And with Nilakina, I mean, I, I know he's sort of a divisive player, but I really love the way he plays on defense. I don't know what kind of offensive player he's going to be, but there's at least potential there. And that is what I think has in common with the the time in Knicks history that you're talking about when Walsh came in and when D'Antoni was was here. Uh, is you can actually sort of see a game plan for the first time. I don't know if they'll stick with it. Uh, it. it it is funny to me a little bit that they're talking about preaching patience and uh, fiscal responsibility after they had that sort of weird spending spree on Tim Hardaway and Ron Baker last summer. Um, but Hey, I, they have more flexibility than some other teams and they have uh, a few young guys that they're going to be able to build around.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, they, I mean, uh, that part I was amused by uh, given, I think the Hardaway contract might've been the worst contract of last summer. And they had the worst contract the summer of the year before, which is great. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, you're right. They could have three top ten picks, four, and counting Porzingis and max cap space in 2019. Like they, yeah. they could be a team that's well positioned to strike on a star. And then, you know, this—that's the, the thing. This doesn't have to be a rebuild that takes five years. Like if they, if they do, and like you said, they do have to hit the picks, but they actually have their picks for once. Mm-hmm. They and and you're right. That I, I mean, I know for a fact there was real pressure on the front office. Not from ownership, but they kind of put it on their on themselves that because of how disastrous everything was with Porzingis the year before with Phil Jackson, that they really felt it was important to go into last season trying to be as competitive as possible and to show him that, listen, we, you know, we're not planning on being awful for the first seven years of your career, right? Like we know you want to be in the playoffs. We know you want to be in a good team. We're trying to get there. Um, even if they knew they weren't going to be a 45 or 51 team, most likely, they at least thought they had a chance to be, you know, competitive and could take a step forward and, you know, really show that they were they were kind of in sync with him in terms of what he wanted, um, which they thought I think which I think understandably they thought was important given how badly things went before that. However, yeah. When he got hurt, I, I kind of disagree with you. I think they tried pretty damn hard to tank. The problem was they'd already built up such a lead <laughs> in a perverse setup <laughs> yeah. from everybody else. Like, remember, they came out of the All-Star break and lost, like I want to say, like 15 out of 16 games or 14 out of 15 games. And they didn't move up one spot. Like It, it was crazy how many games they lost without really their position changing. Um, you know, I, know I may they... have
0: exaggerated how hard it was to tank better than the other
1: tankers <laughs> at the end of the year, but I will say they won two
0: out of the last four games. They did.
1: They did. <laughs> and I was, I was just about to say they did win those two games late and that, that will hurt them. But I mean, look at the end of the day, they lost a lot of games and, um, you know, I, I think ironically, the fact that the Grammys were at the garden this year screwed up their entire season because <laughs> which is funny, but. If if they went thirteen and five at, in those first eighteen games, I want to say like fourteen of them were at home, or twelve of them, or th- yeah. they had a lot of them at home, and no, it was one of them.
0: It was like every other day. It felt like
1: right, and they won a ton of those games. They had some crazy, like they some crazy outcomes. But like, if they don't have that home stretch to start the year, I think they win twenty two games and they're like the in the top five. But yeah, because because of that stretch at the beginning, it put them in such a position at the start that no matter how bad they were after that um it it couldn't it could they couldn't really catch up now before we move on from them I did want to talk to you about the Porzingis stuff because you did write about it and I I think that's the most interesting thing because like to me some of the stuff with Fizdale and Marcus Gasol and how it relates to Porzingis is pretty overrated I mean part of that is because people are just kind of going well he got he feuded with one European guy so is he gonna feud with another European guy which I, I think is pretty it's, dumb. I hate that. Right. It's it's very dumb at a lot of levels and and without getting too far into racial territory, I think people feel comfortable doing that because it's talking about white European guys as opposed to uh, other aspects of society. Um, yes. But it's still the, it's the same exact conversation, which is very dumb. Uh, but I also think, and I think Fizdale, I think you tweeted it. Um, Fizdale, I thought, brought up an interesting point today, which was, yeah, maybe I went in a little too gung-ho to change everything in Memphis. And it's part of what I wrote about. It's part of what I thought. I thought Stephen Bonney in a piece about Fisdale's time in Memphis made a really good point at the end of his column the other day. The, the Knicks have nothing to build on. Like, exactly. Th- this is a franchise that has no structure, has no style of play, has no system, has nothing. It's it's like I said, it's lurched from one thing to another for years now. Phil Jackson half heartedly tried to do the triangle, that didn't work. Like they've they've tried all this stuff and they what they need more than anything is for somebody to come in and say, Listen, here's how we're gonna play. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how I want our team to look. And that to me is why Fisdale has the potential to be a great fit for them because he does have a really clear vision of how he wants to play. And Porzingis does all the things that he wanted Gasol to do and likes doing them. So to me, exactly. that's why like, you know, I think that the marriage there between Fisdale and Porzingis, assuming obviously he comes back healthy, you know, whether it's late next season or the following year, um, I think it puts the Knicks in a position to really have a nice marriage there. Cause I, I not that I know Porzingis great, but I, I know him enough at this point, I think. And, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be opposed to being coached hard. I think more than anything, at this point, he's craving some structure and discipline there for a franchise that's had none of it. So I, I that, to me, is the most encouraging part of this whole thing. I know people have questioned like, well, is, how is Fizz going to relate to him? But I actually think that that's got a, a chance to be a great relationship because I think they're both going to want the same things.
0: Yeah, I think when Fisdale took the job in Memphis, it uh, came with some advantages and some disadvantages, like every situation. The, the big thing was, hey, he got a team that's ready to win. Like so many times, these long-tenured assistants have to take their first job on some tanking team um, or some team that can't even tank because they, they have no flexibility and they're sort of in the middle of the pack and you have no chance to make an impact. And it's just hard. He got to go into a situation where he was able to, to, take, a, to take control of a playoff team. But the downside was... He was in a situation where he had these veterans that were used to playing this one way, and it was old school basketball, and it was slow, and it was post-heavy, and it was all about grinding it out and playing tough defense, and there there wasn't a ton of passing, there wasn't a ton of movement, there wasn't a ton of pace. And it was just sort of outmoded, but they, there was a bunch of strong personalities in the in the locker room. The previous coach, Dave Yeager, had tried numerous times to modernize that offense, and there was so much pushback that he always ended up having to make compromises and having to essentially play a very similar style. I wouldn't even say
1: compromises is strong. I would say he basically just gave up.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the veterans that. on
1: that team won several yeah. times.
0: They won, and I think Fizdale knew that. And while he said today that maybe he went in guns ablaze and saying things are going to be different now, you guys have reached your ceiling, we're going to do something different, and maybe that rubbed people the wrong way, I don't know that he could have done that that much differently, right? Like if if you're trying to go in there and you're trying to say to a bunch of – Um, strong-minded veteran players, we're going to do things differently, I think you you sort of can't be compromising. You have to say, this is going to be uncomfortable. We're going to make you get in better shape. We're going to make you get outside of your comfort zone. We're going to change it up. And he tried his best to do that. They still were not a particularly fast team, but they changed their shot profile. Uh, they completely changed guys' roles. You saw Mike Conley play the best basketball of his career. You saw Gasol expand his game. Um, and I think he did it in a way that he tried to make everybody comfortable. Like he he put Zebo with the second unit, which was a sacrifice, but then he ran the whole offense through Zebo and he was on the court. Like I think there was a method to his madness there. And yeah, the act eventually worked in. The relationship with Gasol eventually deteriorated. But I actually liked the job that he did. I loved the way they played against San Antonio in that playoff series. I thought. Before the injuries and everything going to hell at the beginning of this year, they started the year the first couple of weeks and they looked like they were really onto something, like they were surprising people and it just fell apart. But um, I think this Knicks situation is so different. Um, He can come in and this is also a team that needs modernizing, but – There's no track record of success. There's no uh, real veterans that you have to convince to play a different way. If anything, they're desperate for somebody to come in and say, this is going to be our identity. This is going to be the structure. This is how we're going to play. And Porzingis is the most interesting piece to me, both because of how good he is and how he does still have some really obvious flaws that I think he needs to develop. Like, can can Fizdale turn him into a, a better passer? Can he turn into a guy that can be a roller as well as a pick and pop guy? Can he um, be a guy that functions in an offense that where the ball is really popping around the perimeter and
1: moving? Um, I, I and can I, he keep I, him playing at a high level for 82 games as he's faded yeah. every single season. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and. He, he comes into this thing, and he's talking, referencing the Heat and how they're the best-conditioned team in the league, and that's part of their culture. And, like, Scott Perry brought that up today, and they want that to happen here. And I'm interested in seeing what Chris Dabst and his crazy trainer uh, end up doing and what he looks like when he comes back from this injury, too, because we all know he needs to get a little stronger. Um, but it's you don't want him to bulk up too much. You want him to... Um, be fast you want him to be able to be a guy that can still give multiple efforts on defense like he has since he was a rookie uh and i just think you know he's turning 23 in august there's so much room for him to grow and this is going to be the most important developmental project of fizzdale's career he's the guy that like worked with lebron and Dwayne wade on how to post up can can he make porzingis into an unstoppable post-up player he should be able to because he's seven foot three and can shoot over anyone but right. we'll see
1: right right <laughs> No no question at all. I mean, I I, I think it's a really interesting fit. I, I think, you know, the Knicks had the second best job to me available. Um, they got, you know, at worst, the second best coach uh, in Fisdale, I think, on the market. Um, I think he's a great fit media-wise. He's going to really shine, I think, in the spotlight in New York, um, which I think matters. Um, you know, if, in a market like that, um, I think you need a guy that, that's not going to you know, will under the pressure of dealing with the media there that's going to be a guy that's going to be engaging that's going to be able to you know make headlines and and be comfortable being in the spotlight you know fizz i think is a guy that um has no problem with that you've seen everybody's seen him on tv on the jump he's comfortable on tv um yeah he's comfortable in front of the camera i, I think he's going to be um a perfect fit there but th- with that said let's segue to the wraps I. Uh, Yet yet another sweep at the hands of LeBron. A third straight exit from the playoffs at the hands of LeBron. Um, you know, I wrote about them today. I don't, you know, I even as the game last night was going on, I had multiple people texting me, asking me, how long is it until Masai fires Dwayne? Um, you know, you've been around that team. I know not as much in the past year, but you've been around that, this group, uh, as much as anybody has the last few years. And I was just curious mm-hmm. As you kind of watch the series play out, um, and end, you know, in another Raptor season end last night. Well, what what is your thought on what this team should do now and where it should go? Because I don't really think, you know, despite you know the obvious that they just haven't had enough to go up against LeBron, I don't think there's an obvious answer as to, you know, here's what the next step for these guys is.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's an obvious answer. I think they're in a really strange position. Um, because if we were having this conversation like a week and a half ago, you're, it's just so different. And it, how much does another playoff disappointment matter? I think maybe with a team like Portland, uh, they can justify it and, and say to bring it back. But when it's the same team three years in a row and when it's so one-sided again, and when it feels so familiar.
1: Well, you know what the difference is with Portland? Like I I think Portland could, and maybe should make changes, but Portland also isn't that good. Right? Like Portland's fine. Yeah. They're in the middle. And like, if you're, if you're in the middle and you keep losing, like you lose eight in a row in the playoffs, like, you know, you know, the first six to the Warriors, like, okay, like they probably should make changes in some degree, but they're also, they also were one win better than New Orleans. They didn't have the best player in the sea. Like, sure. There was stuff going on there. The Raptors, won 59 games, they spent the last year changing everything because of mm-hmm. getting swept by the Cavs last year. Uh, you know, it, it, all of it was built toward we are going to be able to contend with this team this year. and, yeah. and, this and that was happened. fair. Right. And, and I think going
0: into this series, I, I think they're the number one seed. They won 59 games. They're a third in net rating. They had a better record than the Warriors. Like they're, I believe they're the only team in the
1: league in the top five in offensive defensive efficiency, too. Either, exactly. It's either maybe them in Houston, but it would, that's it.
0: But the defense now seems like that was a little bit uh, misleading because I remember John Schumann tweeted out like in the final – I don't – it might have even been like a month left in the regular season. Like At a certain point, he was like, the Raptors are this great defensive team, but against the elite offenses, they're like a bottom 10 defensive team. Like they're good at stopping teams that aren't that good. And (laughs) that is essentially what we saw here. They had no hope of stopping the Cavs again yet again um the offense was better the the whole um the culture reset the reimagined offense they moved the ball better uh Lowry and DeRozan were inconsistent again but it didn't matter as much because they were still able to generate good shots but the other end it was a disaster and it, it was really discouraging and disappointing the way it happened because it really seemed like they had the talent this time they had the depth this time they had the right strategy um But here we have Jonas Valanciunas last night saying that it's mental more than physical. Here we have uh, Lowry after the game putting his hat down over his eyes. That was
1: stunning. I mean, listen, I know Kyle. I know Kyle. We've all been around Kyle long enough to know he's certainly the surlier of those two guys in settings like that. Um, And I'm not like DeMar is a class act, and I'm not saying Kyle's not. Like DeMar was a pro. He answered every question. But like Kyle was like his kid up there. Like I, I don't know if I've yeah. ever seen that before. Or like, no, even sure. while he's sitting there, he's like pulling the hat down farther over his head, like I, I'm not actually here. I'm hiding. <laughs> like yeah. I, I've never, I can't remember seeing that at a press conference like that before.
0: Yeah, it was it was really strange. Like he sort of hung Demar out to drive to the point where he had to answer all the questions. To Larry's credit, he, I, I watched the press conference from Toronto today. He went and he answered all the questions and he made eye contact and he was his sort of normal self. Uh, but he didn't feel like he was in the mood to do it after that, after right. that sweep again. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think at this point, uh, Masai Ujiri has such equity with the fan base and the city and the ownership that he could justify anything. If he wants to fire Dwayne Casey today, uh, despite the fact that he won 59 games, despite the fact he was getting all sorts of good press throughout the year, despite the fact he might've won coach of the year that, that might be in the bag. He might have to get that award, uh, without a job. Um, after after the finals end i i i don't think there would be much blowback i mean do you see a scenario
1: do you do you see a scenario at this point where he isn't let go
0: posting up is sponsored by bowl and branch getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think go to bowlandbranch.com today for 50 dollars off your first set of sheets that's b o l l and branch.com promo code posting up.
1: And I'm I not and it. I and I'm not I'm not I, listen, I love Dwayne. I think he's a really yeah. good coach. He's a even better guy. Um, yeah. and I, I I I thought he did a great job this year, but it just feels like it just felt like the way that series went that that was that seems inevitable now. Maybe, and maybe it's it, not, because people, you know, Dwayne has been like the cat with nine lives. I mean, he people thought mm-hmm. he was getting fired after the Wizard series three years ago. People thought he was getting fired after getting swept by the Cavs last year. Um, th- this certainly isn't the first time we've been down this road.
0: No, I mean, it, it's it's a minor miracle that he's still here. Uh, <laughs> I and <laughs> having seen it um, firsthand when I lived there, uh, and all the rumors swirling around, and how um well he's even joked about it a bunch stuff. of times yeah. i mean he's not i mean he's 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 certainly not hidden from it well i there there were questions when Masai got the job whether he was going to keep him mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. then they came so close to losing to the pacers in the first round the year that they eventually got to the conference finals yep. and took two games from the Cavs. yep and if they had lost to the pacers in the first round he would have been out yep after the after the wizard sweep there was speculation he had, he could have been fired he was not. After the Cavs sweep last year, there was speculation he could have been fired. He was not. They have changed the assistant coaches many times over. Right. Um. They they basically had an edict from the top down this past season to completely change the way that they played, and they did it. Um. So it's like on the one hand, he has lasted so long he has done everything that he's sort of been asked to do. But on the other hand... You're seeing these problems in the postseason crop up again and again. He is slow to adjust. He might eventually make the right adjustment, but oftentimes it's too late. And they were able to survive that um, against the Pacers and against the Heat a couple of years ago. Um, they were able to survive that against the Bucks when they were slow um, to make changes right, and, last and year. And the Wizards, mm-hmm. and and even against the Wizards, and it just it gets to these.
1: And that series probably goes seven situation. games at least if Otto Porter is healthy too.
0: Yeah, it might have. It, it absolutely might have. And that that would have been a really nerve-wracking Game 7 if that if that came to pass But the stakes. And, and and the stakes were higher here. And, I mean, I just... Look, I I so respect the job that he's done with that team and what he has built. But, no, it would not surprise me if he got fired. Yeah, I'm not going mean, to say that, it's inevitable. I mean, honestly, I'm not say it's inevitable. At, this,
1: at this point, it's surprising to me that, he, that if he comes back. I mean, I think yeah, I, this feels like... Add, no, we should
0: Josh Lewinberg from 10 from from TSN in, in Toronto has reported that they're leaning that way okay. uh, that 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 came out today. So I don't know what their timeline is on making a decision. I don't know if the plan is just to elevate Nick Nurse. Um, I don't know if Jerry Stackhouse gets a look if Masai has some other secret well, that's, candidates. That's, that's the interesting thing about too. I don't know.
1: That's the interesting thing about Masai is people will probably be surprised to know this. He's never hired a coach. That's the thing he was in Denver for a few years. He left the same summer i don 't even know if he I, I don't even think he fired george Carl i don 't remember for sure, but he he left that same they both left that same summer i don 't remember exactly the timeline on it um and he like you said, there was thought he might replace dwayne he didn't and he has obviously never got rid of him since so um it it would be um it, it's fascinating to me to see what direction he goes in Because like you said. I don't, I don't know what he wants in a coach because he's never hired one.
0: Yeah. And I I'd, I'd think regardless, like I could see them – like the, the, the Nick Nurse strategy, if they are to fire Dwayne, like kind of makes the most sense to me because I don't think they have a fundamental problem with system. I don't think they have a problem with strategy. I think you're really just wanting to have better results in the playoffs. You just You want a new voice to be able to reach this team when they're dealing with adversity because they just, despite what DeMar Rosen said the other day, they do not deal with adversity well. And they, they get in these situations, and I, I I don't know why they disintegrate. I don't know why their, their habits change. I, I think they did a better job of staying to their offensive identity uh, for the most part this time. But defensively, it was just, it, it, was, it was a train wreck. And you could see... Late in the second quarter of game four, uh, that they just kind of didn't want to be out there. Like it, it was just sort of over. They, they knew. And I, I think that was really disheartening for, a, for a fan base that got their hopes higher than they'd ever been. And for good reason. So they want blood. Um, I think Masai Ujiri is an extremely competitive guy. Uh, he's beyond frustrated. Um, can he, he meet with Casey and can, can can Casey promise to make changes? Can he plead with him? Can he keep his job? I, I don't know how that, I have no idea how that conversation goes. Uh, I don't even know if that that will be a conversation. Uh, but I know uh, I would be surprised if Masai brought all the core pieces back. And by the way, you talk about um, Masai never hiring a coach, he didn't acquire most of this core either. Like, yeah, he traded for Ibaka, he re signed Lowry and DeRozan, but he didn't bring them there. He almost traded Kyle away. He was going to
1: trade Kyle away, and James Dolan wouldn't do the trade. I mean, the trade was done.
0: There are so many like weird turning points in Raptors history over the past few years, and that failed trade was the start of this entire run. Uh, Valanchunas was a guy I think anybody could have had him last summer if they were going to give the Raptors anything decent in return. He comes back, has the best year of his career, but – I still think despite the fact that it worked in the regular season, the idea of having him and Serge Ibaka playing together, I don't think that's sustainable. Like I think they're both centers and Ibaka is really hard to trade. Valentunas obviously has been really hard to trade. Um, So I don't think there are really easy answers here. Like Lowry and DeRozan. Yes, there are plenty of teams would love those guys, but would they love those guys on those contracts? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, I, I wrote about this in the piece I wrote today, $95 million. To Kyle Lowry, Demar Derozan, Serge Bach, and Jonas Valanciunas this year, hundred million dollars next year. Um, it's hard to see all four of those guys being on the team still. Just like it's hard to see the coach being back. Um, what do you think is? I mean, do you do you think that either Demar or Kyle, one of them, is more likely to be traded than the other one? I kind of think Kyle's more
0: likely. Uh, you might you might disagree. I'm not um, sure. Honestly, I I, honestly. Think, I, I yeah. think
1: I think. I think you could probably get more of a return for DeMar. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also think that Kyle's contract is shorter and thus might be a little easier to move.
0: Yeah, I think Kyle's contract is shorter. It's sort of easier to fit him into a team based on his skill set. Mind you, there are so many good point guards in the NBA. I'm not sure where you send him. But I, I think from a Raptors perspective, like if they still want, if they're still thinking about like, their team outlook I think they'd rather keep the younger one I think it might it might be as simple as that and the other thing um that that I want to bring up here with Kyle and I don't want to sound like like negative Nancy on Kyle Lowry I I wrote a profile about him this year I think he has been the engine uh, throughout most of this Toronto run the success they've had over the past few years and I think at times has been a great leader for this team um and has had more good playoff games than people remember. But that press conference though,
1: that but, press conference though is kind of a microcosm of those two guys. But, and, but the press and,
0: conference but you know what it reminded no, me of is well,
1: like I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off.
0: I just wanted to say like last summer I don't know that he really wanted to resign with the Raptors. The the free Kyle Lowry thought a he was he Kyle Lowry, anticipate.
1: right? Kyle Lowry thought he was getting a max deal. And basically, he thought he, he was going to have multiple max offers. Correct. He didn't have any? Right. Was what I was going to say. He thought he was getting a max deal, and what he got was the Raptors saying, "We'll give you a short deal." Not for. And look, it's not like ninety million dollars is no money, right? But um, it, that was not what he or whatever it is, a hundred million, whatever the deal was. It wasn't. Was. It's it wasn't, not the deal he expected, and not even close
0: and and it's and it, and it wasn't even because of anything he can, could control the sixers ended up with markel Fultz. the rockets ended up with chris paul uh the wolves i think were a destination for him until they went and got jeff teague um the rockets went and traded for Rick, i mean the jazz went and traded for for ricky rubio like all of these places that like conceivably would have wanted new point guards they just didn't didn't need them yep and so he ends up coming back to toronto um and he took like i i think he got a good contract from them considering the circumstances, but I just think based on how that played out versus how DeMar's free agency played out when it was just like it's midnight and he's signing with the Raptors and there's no discussion with anybody else because everybody knew he wanted to be there. I was at his end-of-season press conference yep. that year when he came as close as you possibly could because to, to saying I'm definitely staying here just because he didn't want his agent mad at him. Like It was very obvious he wanted to stay, and I think that stuff matters to Masai. So – I think when when you're looking at which one could possibly go, I think the the number one factor is what the market bears for for both of those guys, right? Like you're, it, it depends what offers are actually out there. But I think there are secondary and tertiary factors, and one of them is how badly those guys actually want to be there. And I think when Demar says that he wants to finish his career in Toronto, he wants to be the best Raptor ever, all of that stuff. I I do think that matters to to ownership to. Management to the organization in general.
1: No, I I agree with you, and I, I think I, you know, like you said, he is younger, um, and I and I do think. Look, I do think that press conference does say a lot, and it's not a knock on Kyle because not everybody um, is built that way, right? But if you're picking one of those guys to be the face of your team, like Demar is the face of your team, like he he's willing to do that stuff that in a way Kyle isn't really, and and like I said. That's not a negative thing, right? Like Tim Duncan didn't want to do that stuff. Now he happened to be one of the ten best players of all time, and he played in the perfect place where he <laughs> yeah. didn't have to. But like, yeah. you don't have to do that stuff to be a great player. And I'm not saying that, like because DeMar's great with the media, he's the guy that should keep. But like you said, if you're if you're trying to make a kind of a seismic decision there, like you said, that you have to factor in that kind of stuff. Like if Kyle Lowry's sitting up there by himself next year in a similar situation. It's probably not going to go great, right? And I, I do think, to your point, I do think all that stuff matters. Um, but, like, I also don't know what the, like you said, I don't know what the offers are for either of those guys. I mean, it's a weird, they're both in different ways kind of unique players that don't necessarily fit everywhere. And yeah. I, I, you know, if the goal is to just save some money to then re-sign Fred VanVleet, like, I think you could probably do that, in particular with Kyle, but... Um, I mean but the other don't, thing is like don't if, think if Lowry don't leaves they easy. can
0: just roll with Van Vleet and right as their point guards. Like right. that is a that is a path. It's a little more complicated if you trade DeMar.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. 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 Um yeah, no, I'm I'm really uh, their their situation is really fascinating to me because there there isn't like You know, people are going to say, well, you just got to blow it up. And like, even if no, which is right. Well, first of all, it's dumb uh, because, you know, if you make the playoffs 10 years in a row, that's not a bad thing. Even if you're not a team that can win a title. And when you're playing against LeBron every year, you're in the East, you're not making the finals anyway. Um, But also,
0: I wonder how does this series go? If OG Ananobi is 20% better, if Pascal Siakam is 20% yeah. better, if Jakob Pertl can play good enough defense to stay on the floor, if well, DeLonger...
1: How does it go if they don't if they do not do the ultimate Raptors thing and blow game one? Sure. I mean, that, yeah, of course. And that was the thing. Yeah. Like Kevin Pelton during game two, who I'm not ripping Kevin at all. He's way smarter than me. But he he was tweeting during the game... You know the Raptors are playing out of their minds on offense. or are doing all the stuff they did all season. Don't don't come at me with the same old Raptors thing. The problem is, game two wasn't the same old Raptors. Game one was. Like that was that's the that's the Raptors' problem. It's not it's not. So did the,
0: they still score 112 points or whatever? But I, like... I don't even
1: mean I don't even mean style of play. It's not finishing yeah, it couldn't... off. Like that's yeah. that's the thing that hasn't changed for all this stuff, right? And everything that's happened with the Raptors, like it's that. Being able to get over the finish line is the thing that hasn't changed. They're right. always the team that loses. They always lose that game, right? Game seven against the Nets. Kyle gets a 10-footer and misses to win the yep. game, right? Uh, you know, you go back and— Game
0: one against the Wizards, there was like an alley-oop for Terrence Ross where, like, the Raptors wanted a foul and it wasn't caught. Right, and, like, right. that. That's the whole rest of the series— in Toronto everybody was talking about what if they had gotten And that it's call.
1: all the same it's the same yeah. crap yeah. about it's the same crap about, oh well, it's so unfair we had to play the Wizards. They're not a unique eight they're a they're a unique eight seed. It's like who gives a crap if they're a unique eight seed? You won fifty nine games. Like what are you talking about? Like yeah. if you won 59, 60 games, you should go stomp whoever you play in the first round because you're a great team. And like this is th- that's yeah. the stuff that like and I'm not I'm not blaming anybody for that, but like that is the For as much as all the stylistic stuff helped and it made them better and I did think they had a better chance to compete, I do think it's that stuff that until that part of it changes, and I don't even know how it changes, that's the thing to me that's always going to hold them back.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what makes the Raptors so I think fascinating to talk about and also so kind of frustrating and difficult to talk yes. about because there's no stat for what you're just talking about. Like they're kind of uh, like the basket
1: the actual basketball version of the idiotic non-stop Jordan LeBron thing.
0: Yeah, and I I just think okay, so if you're talking about like <sighs> I, I uh, let me put it this way. I, I wrote an article last year after the Raptors, after K- after Masai said he wanted a culture reset, and everybody was trying to figure out what that what that meant. And I wrote um, a story not just about the Raptors, but they were one of the teams. And it was like ten. It was I called it like course corrections or something. Yeah, something I remember like that. that. It was good. Yeah. And and the idea was like, what do these teams need to do uh, going into next season that isn't just like, oh, they need a three and D guy. Or, oh, they need uh, more rebounding. Or they need LeBron. What can they change? And I remember what I wrote about the Raptors where they needed more oomph. (laughs) Like, they needed to be a tougher team. They needed to have more metal. Like, they they should not – like, I always – Bruce Arthur referenced this in his column the other day um, about when Paul Paul Pierce, when he was with the Wizards, (laughs) excuse me, uh, (laughs) said – Uh, Here I am stumbling over my words when Paul Pierce said they didn't have the it factor and everybody in Toronto got really mad
1: and everybody uh, there hates Paul Pierce
0: and Masai said who gives a what about it and it was a big thing but I think like as usual Paul Pierce was right exactly the thing is like we're here three years later the Raptors were if not a great team knocking on the door of being a great team like their point differential every indicator they're they're a great
1: team they were a great team for 82 games.
0: Sure. Legitimately
1: great team, like great team. If you finish in the top five in offense and defense, you're a great team.
0: Yes. And despite all of that, um, despite them, if you want to say they overachieved, if you want to say they found some sort of basketball nirvana where they had chemistry and they had this perfect bench unit and whatever, um, I'm sitting here today. Watching Kyle Lowry talk from their practice facility, saying that we weren't tough enough, we didn't get into them defensively, we didn't make them feel us, we let them get comfortable—all this stuff—that um, rang true. You watch how the Cavs role players performed against the Pacers versus how they played against the Raptors. Right, those Some games of that- were
1: like those games. Those games felt like games in December. Yeah. They were like, all just breezing up and down the court and shooting the ball the whole time because that's what the Cavs do all the time, and the, the Raptors went right along with it.
0: Yeah, and some of that is basketball. Some of that is like George Hill and Kevin Love were hurt, but that's not all of it. You can't convince me that was all of it. You look at the quality of looks that J.R. Smith got in this series. You look at the quality of looks that Kyle Korver got in this series and compare that <laughs> to when the Pacers were just like, no, we're not going to switch. We're going to stick to you. We're going to fight over screens. We're going to make life as hard on you as possible. And we're going to dare LeBron to be a scorer and not a passer. The Raptors were too willing to switch. They're too willing to give up unfavorable mismatches. They were too willing to just sort of approach it like any other game rather than really, really putting as much pressure as possible on the Cavs and their role players. It wasn't just LeBron. Kevin Love had an amazing series. J.R. Smith had an amazing everybody series. Everybody on the Raptors, they everybody had,
1: on the Cavs was great. Everybody.
0: Yeah, like Tristan Thompson came in and and mattered a lot in, in a few games, and he had a disastrous regular season. He had a big game seven against Indiana, but you know what I mean? Like, I just think when we're talking about what the Raptors need to do, uh, it's not always just like, oh, they need – Another playmaker in the front court. Well, I think they do. I think I, I think their system is made um, for a team that has better shooting and has better passing. It, it was an imperfect fit, but it was year one. I get that, but I don't think that tells the whole story. I think when you have the this like tough as nails point guard that Kyle Lowry is talking about, how they didn't get into the Cavs enough, they didn't make them feel pressure. Like you're the leader of the team. Like you should be able to make that happen. They did not get that leadership. I'm not putting it on him. I'm putting it on everyone. And the easiest thing in that scenario to do is to put it on the coach as maybe that's not fair. But if Casey gets fired, I think it's not that they lost to the Cavs. It's the way they lost to the Cavs. It was just so dispiriting and it was so different um, from what you thought was possible after what they, what they did in the regular season and all the talk about how this was going to be different coming in.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, if, if, the um, if that series had played out and all four games were like games one and three, uh, it, it's probably a little different conversation. Um, but yeah. the, the fact that the fact that you know they lose game one tight and even Dwayne admitted it last night, like you know, God bless him for being honest. But like the fact that they, you know, couldn't get over the game one loss and got destroyed, and couldn't get over the game three loss and get destroyed. Yep. Like the fact you can't, the fact that this group that's got a lot of guys who have been through a lot of games now, it loses a tight game and then can't get over it and gets routed the next game. I mean, that that kind of says it all right there about the state of that team and, and where they're at. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st up postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st up postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA.
0: I think at a certain point it it just gets stale, and they've done what they can to keep it fresh. I mean, uh, like I said, they changed assistant coaches a few times over the past few years. They've had this core for about, I think, three years now, but they they did change them before. Um, They have drafted incredibly well. Uh, they've made good signings on the margins. like Van Vliet, they didn't even draft. They identified him. They signed him as an undrafted free agent. Uh, there was, he, he wasn't even guaranteed to make the team. And now he's one of their best players and a guy that they're going to have to pay real money to if they're going to keep. Um, I think the organization has let go of of some valuable role players that I think, I mean, coming into the year, I thought they would miss Patrick Patterson and Corey Joseph and P.J. Tucker. And, like, maybe they missed Tucker because they could have thrown him at LeBron, but I don't know. OG Ananobi did a really good job. That wasn't why they lost. Like, right. I think they, they have refreshed this thing. Um, but that core of DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, Jonas Valanciunas, Dwayne Casey, if you want to put him in there, like, it it is feeling stale now, and they have... Uh, this shared history that can be good and bad, and I, I would be sur- like, I mean, Zach Lowe said this on his podcast recently. He said, "I I don't have," he was like, "I don't have any reporting to back this up," but I just feel like one of the three guys, Demar, Kyle, and Dwayne, will be
1: gone. And you know what? Like, it could be more than one. <laughs> right, right, right. And and you know what? Like, it, it's you know, it it goes beyond, and it even goes beyond uh, the well, the Cavs have LeBron thing because you look at the East playoffs right now, right? You go into next season, let's say LeBron stays with the Cavs. Yeah. The Raptors are probably the team you're what? You probably have them fourth among teams you want to be in the East? Like
0: Depending on what the Sixers do in free agency. But even and, let's like, say the Sixers whatever. just
1: let's say the Sixers just add a couple of role players, right? Let's say they just deepen out their bench a little bit and then like go from Marco Bellinelli to Wayne Ellington and add a another say they get Wayne Ellington and Danny Green, right? Something like that. Okay. Are
0: they keeping J.J. in this scenario? Is he he off to Brooklyn? Sure.
1: Let's say they just have all three of those guys or or two of those guys. Either way, uh, are you taking the Sixers or the Raptors? I think most people are going to bet on Embiid and Simmons taking another step. And if you get Fultz right, you'd rather be the Sixers. You'd obviously rather be the Celtics and you'd rather have LeBron. So this isn't like last year where you could go through that season and go, you know what? If we make some changes and come back, we still arguably are the best team that isn't LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. And if LeBron goes to the Lakers or West somewhere, then we could be in position to be the best team in the East. I I mean, I don't really see that being the case now. You know, I said, and I do I do wonder out, if i that...
0: see what LeBron does though. You know, like Right.
1: I just mean to me it changes the calculus a little bit from a year ago because a year ago you could say if we just make some changes, we could contend with LeBron and then it's either us or LeBron. Where yeah. now yeah. it is you got the Celtics and the Sixers and LeBron if he stays. And yeah, even the degree if LeBron of
0: difficulty of getting that number one seed again, even if they run it all back. Like that that just gets it yes. gets way harder. And even if
1: LeBron leaves, it's not like you look at them and go, Well this is the team that's gonna take over. Right? Yeah. Now it's like they are in the mix, but they're certainly not a team where you're gonna look at and go, Yeah, they're clearly number one with a bullet. You know, they're yeah. they're in the mix now. So I think that even changes maybe the calculus of what you do because it's, it's harder than to say, hey, we should just kind of roll along in the same vein, right? Like you almost yeah. got to think like, hey, we probably do need to make a bigger swing now because we've got to try to keep up. And they don't have the benefit like those other teams do of having high picks coming in that they can kind of add to the mix. I mean, they have our internal development – that will help them because, like you said, guys like Ananobi is going to get better. He was really impressive. Siakam mm-hmm. has a lot of fl- shown a lot of flashes. He's going to get better. Perto is probably going to get better. Um, it, it's just there's a lot of, uh, but there's not the like yeah this guy is going to take a huge leap like that 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 those other teams have. So I. Yeah, they're they're in a they really interesting spot. They don't have
0: Kyrie spot. Irving and Gordon Hayward coming back. Right. Sure. right. They don't
1: have Kyrie Irving yeah. and Gordon Hayward coming back, <laughs> and the potential to have you know if they get lucky in the lottery next week, a top five pick, and sure. uh, and top five picks in the future. I mean, yeah, like they, you know, they, it's it's it, it's a tough it's a tough uh, it's a tough road to hoe. Let's let's bounce around real quick. Uh, speaking of Sixers, absolutely, you can say as many Raptors. things as you want on the Raptors. I, I just figured you were done.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to say like why this this particular ending is such a bummer. It's not just to me just that the expectations were higher this time. It's like, in general, the way I view the NBA is not strictly a like championship or bust mindset. Like, I don't think every team has to have that mentality. Which is the same where, way
1: to look at it because not everyone realistically can.
0: Sure, and I, I don't even think really the Raptors we're necessarily looking at it this way. I think if they had lost in a more dignified manner, then we'd be having a different conversation. Yeah. If they
1: were competitive (laughs) in this series, it'd be a totally different man.
0: Yeah. Be like, Hey, they
1: took a step forward,
0: even if they didn't win. Yeah. And the, the reason why I'm so bummed about this, even though like, I don't like, I'm not a Raptors fan. Like I did grow up one when I was a kid, but like, it's, it's more just like I bought in, like I fully bought into the culture change to what they were doing um I had more fun watching this team than any other Raptors team probably in franchise history. I wrote more features on that this team like going and writing about their role players um than some years when I lived there and had access to them all the time. Like I just I did take like one trip home but otherwise I was getting them when they were on the road um coming through New York and I just I found them really fascinating. I thought it was a great story uh, the way that multiple guys stepped up, the way that the team evolved. I think they had Um, great chemistry, um, on and off the court until the playoffs started. And I think it was a testament to a really professional organization and a a bunch of players and coaches that weren't satisfied with where they were at. And I, I think they, they tried to do everything right. And the reason why it was a bummer is it was despite all of that, right. Despite all of that. And despite the fact that it always bugged me, like when people would just dismiss the Raptors throughout the year and say like, Oh, like. They're frauds. They're built for the regular season, blah, blah, blah. Like You thought, well, why – I thought, like, why wouldn't this translate? Like, all of the numbers are saying it should. The style is genuinely different. Like, you cannot watch this team and watch them in years past and say it's the same thing. And despite all of that, they, they match up with the Cavaliers, and it's just so familiar. <laughs> It is so familiar. It's the way it happened. It's the 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 little things that added up. It's the constant talk about things that went wrong in prior games. It's the the adjustments that seemed really obvious going into the series that don't happen until games three or four. Like even like Bebe coming in for no reason right. when Balan well there and there, was, crazy. and there was and there
1: was a there was a tweet during the game last night, which I I'm not going to say who tweeted it. Uh, equating you know saying that. Oh, I'm sure Raptors fans are wondering why DeMar DeRozan just got ejected when Kevin Love's uh, elbow to the face in Game One didn't get a review, and then it was like hashtag, uh, you know, whatever it was, like hashtag we the uh, North or, or it Z wasn't or, even it wasn't even we the North. It was it was a media person. It was like uh, it was like hashtag, uh, you know, I can't think of the right word, um, you know, like whatever. The the point was the Raptors had gotten shafted. And at the time, the Raptors were losing by 4 trillion points and had been out of the game since halftime. It was like, no, you know what? I, I wanted to say something, but I did not. I said, you know what? No, the Raptors, are not, Raptors fans are not thinking about, oh, the, it's unfair that DeMar DeRozan got ejected. Thinking about the fact that the Raptors just quit in the last game of the season and are getting swept again by the Cavs. That's what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about this nonsense. And that, like, you, like we've said a couple of times, that just, that just sums up the state of the team. Like, and I think that goes for the fan base too. Like Toronto is a amazing city. I've gone on vacation there. It's a world-class city. The obsession that everybody has there with feeling like there's a conspiracy against them when it comes (laughs) to these things is enraging to me. Because it's a great city. Just, it's like, stop thinking that way. Like, it's a great team, a great city. Like, you shouldn't be walking around thinking everyone's out to get you all the time, that no one likes you. It's not how it is. And I really think until, and I think some of that does bleed into the way the franchise operates and thinks about stuff. Like you said it like, again, like during the Wizards series, it kept coming up. Oh, well, this isn't a typical wizards, you know, like this isn't a typical eight seed. And like you said, the referencing back to that play and mm-hmm. like, just move on already. And I just feel like that, that is the element to me that's missing from that group. And I want that team to win. Cause they're fun. They're fun to watch. I like everybody there. Like, I love Generally Toronto. a top
0: five league pass team for me. Yeah, they're
1: easy, great. Easy. They're great to yeah. watch. It's an incredible city. Like, you kidding me? You go to Toronto for a week in June? Like, that would be awesome. Like, there isn't... A, there, I can promise you, there isn't a media person that wasn't hoping that they could go to Toronto for a week in June. Like, Yeah. You know, Party at my mom's house, totally. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Great. I mean, Toronto for the finals would have been awesome. Like, there's not anybody to be against that. But, you know, it's like you said, we're back here in the same... Uh, we're back here in the same circle again, and, and it is it is really going to be interesting. Um, it, it is really interesting what what I what comes next for them, because I, I don't think, like you said, I don't think anything is clear other than that. It does feel like, you know, like Zach said, I think that was on the pile with Kevin yesterday. Um, yeah. I, d- I do think, I'm within, that I do think at least one of those guys is going to be gone. Like you said, I could very easily see it being, you know, two or even three if the right scenarios line up. I mean, I think... You know, there's a lot of things to play. Let's let's up real quick before we go, though. Uh, Sixers, Sixers Celtics game five is tomorrow. Uh, I think my buddy Tom Habistro has said that the Sixers are coming back. That seems a little strong. Uh, I,
0: I've been saying that, but I haven't really been meaning it. I've, it's just been sort of like a fun thing to keep putting in like
1: my work slack. Just like Sixers and seven. It's going to happen. So are you willing to say that publicly or no? Can I put that on the headlines? James James Herbert colon Sixers win in seven
0: i mean, sure
1: I'll. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just asking. Is that? Yeah, a, I mean,
0: I, I'd love it. I'd love it. I, I would love I, it too. It'd I be think it, it is. It has never been done. It is almost impossible. But hey, I mean, we all said the Sixers have the talent advantage coming into this series. So if it's ever going to happen, why? Why not this team?
1: I saw somebody. I think it might have been Bomadi Jones uh, mentioned this the other day. Um, it's probably time we stop saying this, that Brad Stevens has no talent, right? Uh, oh, like I mean, defensive talent. Well, they're also, they're also starting four top six picks and a 16th pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or three in a top 16 picks. I, I guess Baines is starting. Um, it's not like they don't – like they have young talent. Uh, you know, no. I, I was the first one to say that they – you know, I, did, I thought they were going to struggle to score in the playoffs. I didn't think they beat Milwaukee and, and Philly for that reason. Um, but it's not like they have no talent. Um, yeah,
0: and, I, I... – and you, you watch what Jason Tatum did in uh what was it game game 3 which was the one where he just went totally bonkers um game I 3 he's been I awesome throughout yeah. the playoffs but yeah. like you watch him do that you don't tell me that they don't have like individual scoring talent like he is unproven but he is proving himself right now. Right. And Jalen Brown has had some huge games in the playoffs and Terry Rozier. Every time you think, Oh, he can't do this anymore. He goes and does it again. Maybe that's because the, the world's greatest player, TJ McConnell wasn't playing 39 (laughs) minutes sticking to him, but, but you know what, you know what I mean?
1: Yes. No, listen, I, I, do you, do you think that series ends tomorrow?
0: Uh, I'll say no. (laughs) I feel nervous saying it. Um, I, I wanna see if they can get more uh more juice out of this starting TJ McConnell thing, because he really did. Like uh people people like to joke and just like say whatever about him and, and even when they're being complimentary, it's always like, Oh, he's an energy guy. Like even Brett Brown falls into this when he talks about him. Because it's true, like he does provide energy. He is a really good teammate, he does do all these like stereotypical little white guy things, but like he's like just if you look at how the team changes when you have one guy that can actually get in the paint the way he did. When you have one guy that can actually match up against Rozier because nobody else can. Um, I think he did add a different dimension to the team. I think the fact that he played so many minutes, it's not necessarily that he like went off and had 19 points. Like that was nice. They needed it. But I I think his presence did change it. And I think they found something that worked.
1: You know what um, changed? Joel Embiid stopped shooting the ball every time. Well, there's that. Like, the fr- and I, I give him credit for that. I think having TJ on the court helped. I mean, look, the last few games, first three games of the series, Joel was dominating the ball, right? Game four, Darius Sarge leads the team with 17 shots. Sarge was awesome. Sarge was, was awesome, awesome. awesome. Yeah. Joel Embiid has 15. Ben Simmons has 15. Redick has 11. Uh, McConnell has 12. Bellinelli has 10. Ilya Sova has 7. Covington has 7. Like, yep. if the Sixers are playing like that, they got a much better chance than if they're just throwing the ball to Embiid over and over again against Horford and not having those other guys have ways to get going Um, because they don't have anybody that can put the ball on the floor and make a play for themselves, uh, which is their biggest weakness, which has really shown up in the series because Brad Stevens is really focused on, you know, let Embiid get his. We're not going to let these other guys go. And I thought last night you finally saw those other guys get going. And I think part of that was because they had McConnell who could bring the ball up and get Simmons on some fast breaks um, for some easy buckets. And you had – you know, just more ball movement in general to get Sarge, who was, like you said, it was great, and some of those other guys open shots.
0: Yeah, so they, they need to keep doing that, but I think, you know, Boston's defense is so good, they're not going to let Philly get get out in transition too often. They're going to do what they've been doing. They're going to wall off the paint. They're going to dare them to just go to Embiid one-on-one and say, we know how good Embiid is, but a post-up is not that efficient, and we believe we have guys that can guard him. Yeah. Uh, the Sixers have to stay disciplined within that. It, it's it's weird because of the style they play. Like it's not like they they don't really run pick and rolls. Like they're not a traditional attack. Like they they sort of play like the old Spurs used to do. Um, obviously, Brett Brown's from there. But like when they're at their best, they're really moving the ball. There's a ton of sort of off ball screening action. There, there's they they really rely on Redick and Bellinelli. Um, providing that shooting to space the floor and make everything work um but they're not a team that's going to just like zero in on somebody and like exploit a matchup and also the way Boston is constructed like who are you exploiting like they don't really have weak links right. defensively like that's one thing like if Kyrie was playing you could go at him you you can't go at Terry razier really um so uh I, I think it has been a, a just it still sort of blows my mind like it's been a way tougher matchup than I expected. I picked Sixers and six at the beginning of this thing, um, which obviously is not. And happening. I picked Sixers
1: and five. Um, I just thought they were yeah. gonna. I thought they were gonna score better. And listen, I mean, I think you know we all. I think we all got caught up in the fact that this is a young team with you know their four probably best players Covington, Saric, Embiid, and, and Simmons who hadn't played a single playoff game between them, and you're seeing yep. guys who are you know really for the first time going through the playoffs, and it's hard. It's hard to win in the playoffs. And, you know, it's not, for as good as those guys are, it's not as easy as, as people want to make it seem that you could just fly through and make the finals. There's a reason nobody does that, right? Right. And right. I think we all, including me, got caught up in that a little bit. And the Celtics, that's the other thing. The Celtics, young guys, like, yes, Tatum is there for the first time. But, like, people going, oh, well, they have Jalen Brown. Well, Jalen Brown played in the conference finals last year against LeBron. Like,
0: yeah. that's not and it's so much better now than he was, right? Like, he actually like, learned
1: he's it. been yeah. through it before. Like, yeah. Terry Rozier has been through it before. Now, I will be the first Marcus to say Smart has Marcus been through Smart it before. has been through a million yeah. playoff games now. Like, I am the first to say I underestimated what those guys could do in these playoffs. Um, but like, they're not like it's different when you're a young guy who's been in the playoffs as opposed to a young guy who hasn't been in the playoffs. Like, it's not the same thing. Like, you could say Jalen Brown's a young guy. Like Kyrie Irv or uh, Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP at like, what, 22, right? But he'd been in the playoffs for three years. Yeah. Like, you know, when the, when the, uh, you know, the, the Warriors, when they got, when they made the run in deep to the finals and won the title the first time, they'd been in the playoffs the last two years before they would played in three playoff series. Like it's much, it, you don't just jump in and go to the finals, um, yeah, and I, I thought they might. I thought but they
0: might too. I thought they might, thought they might blow it up
1: because of the way the East was set up. And even then, like the Celtics have played great. And, you know, the Cavs now look like the Cavs again. So, yeah,
0: but also, if you had told me going into the series that like at least through three games that Al Horford was going to – not like sort of outplay Joel Embiid but like decisively thoroughly outplay him then I would be like and that's hmm. the other
1: thing I screwed up okay. like he's been he's been incredible like he he's yeah. been the best player in the series and i think you know really um you know really sums up uh you know really sums up the difference in the series is that you know Brad Stevens said i'm going to let Joel Embiid go at Al Horford and Aaron Baines over and over and over again and mm-hmm. those guys have made him very inefficient And Philly finally changed that in game four. But, you know, that's the biggest reason why that series was 3-0 after three games.
0: Yeah. And I just thought I didn't really think there was an answer for Embiid one on one. I thought he. Me neither. I mean, I know he turns the ball over a lot. That's one thing. Um, But. But he's so big. You still thought he'd score. Yeah. Like when, when he doesn't turn it over, like to me, it's like he usually scores or draws a foul. And that that has not been what's happened here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um final thing, oh I guess two final things. Uh let's assume the Celtics close that series out. Do you like the Cavs and the to go to the finals?
0: Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I do based on what I've seen from them in the second round and the fact that uh Hill looks as good as he does and the fact that Love looks as good as he does. And I I always thought the ceiling for this Cavs team was pretty high if they could ever kind of like get their act together um and i think the the rhythm that they found on offense with lebron um shouldering this huge load but also kind of figuring out how to just play slow and pick his spots and feel the game out and make plays for other people like their their offense is just like when they actually have all the shooters out there when they're not playing like Clarkson and Hood and Green next to next to him. Um, it's the it's the same thing we've seen over the past few years. It's just there's not really an answer for LeBron surrounded by shooters. And I think Lou has figured out. I mean, part of it is is to do with health. Um, but I think as the playoffs have gone on, you've seen him shorten the rotation, figure out who he trusts, figure out how to balance offense and defense. And I think um, you'll see that continue um, as, as the playoffs goes on. Go go on. I think. They they have an identity, which they didn't have before. They're starting to develop some actual chemistry, which is nice to see from them. Um, I think the Raptors gave them an uncharacteristically easy road. I think the Celtics, if that's who they end up facing, will be way better defensively than Toronto was. Um, but in terms of just firepower, I, I, I
1: think the Cavs have the edge there. Your answer was way longer than it needed to be.
0: I should have just said LeBron. Correct. Yeah. They have LeBron. LeBron is your, still
1: the best. Uh, Your answer was very good, and 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 all I agree with pretty much everything you said. But I, the whole time I was thinking, you could have just said they have LeBron on their team.
0: But what if this Rodney Hood situation just completely tears the team apart?
1: I'm just going to say this about the Rodney Hood situation: uh, there's a reason why the Utah Jazz traded a young player. Just leave it at that. Yeah. A team yeah. that a team that prides itself on development and doesn't trade young players, traded a young player. You know? Traded
0: not only a young player, the guy who was supposed to be their primary playmaker coming into this year.
1: Yep. Yep. Sums up sums up a lot, I think. Uh, so uh and then the final thing, uh assuming that the Warriors and Rockets finish this off tonight, because this is gonna post shortly after we're done. Uh mm-hmm. who do you like in that series in the Western Conference Finals?
0: Still the Warriors, still the Warriors. I, I'm so psyched for this series. Uh, I think the Rockets are the best challenger they've had um, this entire time. Like I think they're a better challenger than the Cavs were last year in the finals. I, I think they're they're really interesting, but I still can't pick them.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I am. I I was with the Rockets this weekend in Salt Lake City. Uh, they they're awfully good, and um, you know I, they had not really impressed me during the. Um, during the first round and really during the first couple of games, I mean, they had the 50 point quarter and they had the great game against the jazz who were gas in game one, but they hadn't, you know, other than brief flashes, they hadn't looked great. Um, but their game three performance is incredible. And, um, even in game four, the, 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 you know, the jazz really came at them or were desperate and they still, you know, dominated them, uh, throughout that game. I, I think it'll be a great series. Um, I, I don't, I just still, I'm with you. I think the Warriors still just have too much. Um, I, I just still think they have too much to uh, really um, really contend with the Warriors over seven games. The Warriors still have four of the best fifty players in the league. Uh, no other team, including the Rockets, has more than two. Though Clint Capella is getting close, um, and I, I just I just think at the end of the day they have too much if they're playing hard. But that said, I'm with you. I think they're better than the Cavs were last year. I think they're better than anybody coming out of the ECS this year. And I, I think it is you know it's going to be a real series. And you yeah. know it you know it's. You know, Houston is in kind of a similar place to Toronto where, you know, they they've had some ups and downs here, but they're they're gonna get to the conference finals, most likely. Uh and you know, let's see what they do against the team they've spent the last year building to beat, right? I mean that this is this is what they did trading for Chris Paul, <laughs> yeah. signing PJ Tucker, go get Luca Bamute, uh playing Clint Capella more minutes, uh, you know, switching all the time on defense. Um, you know, it's uh it puts them in a position where, uh, you know, th- this is what they built toward, to be a team that can legitimately contend with the Warriors. Now, you know, let's see if this goes like Toronto with Cleveland, where they have a couple <laughs> close games and then they get run, off the, run out of the gym. Or yeah. is it, you know, like, hey, this even if they don't win, this goes five, six, seven competitive games, and, you know, they look like a team that over the next two or three years can really give these guys a real run for their money.
0: Everything about it is like a more extreme version of the Toronto-Cleveland matchup, yes. right? Like instead of Lowry and DeRozan, you have Chris Paul and James Harden, who have been criticized for how they played in the playoffs in the past, but also were surefire Hall of Famers. And then the team that they're going up against, um, again, it's like the the standard of that conference, but it's not the Cavs with LeBron and his not as good as they were last year supporting cast. Right. It's maybe the best roster of all time, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's a good comparison. It's just everything is dialed up to a hundred.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's multiplied. So it should be – I'm excited to do that series, and it will be fun. Now, you you said you haven't been traveling much. Are you doing any travel here over the next couple of weeks? I will find out soon. Okay. Well, I, I don't have an answer for you, right? F- fingers <laughs> crossed about that. And uh, But thanks for doing this, man. This is great, as always. I've been meaning to have you on, so this is perfect. And um, before we go, uh, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter and let them know uh, if you've got anything either coming up or – that you have done that you want them to check out? Um, yeah,
0: I mean, all my columns on the playoffs are going up at, uh, CBSSports.com. in the NBA section. I'm at outside the NBA on Twitter. And I don't know if I should plug anything specific. The last like big feature I wrote was about the rights to Ricky. Yeah, Sanchez so I was going to be mad Mr. at you if you didn't plug that. Well, yeah, go go so.
1: read, go read James feature on the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. And on the, the kind of, you know, the, 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 you're around the process uh it was it was great um it was it was a really it was a really fun read and james is a great feature writer so be sure to go uh be sure to go check that out i was going to get mad at you if you didn't if you didn't pop that <laughs> up so i'm glad that you did uh but this was awesome man thank you for doing it. i appreciate it and uh i'll hopefully see you down the road
0: yeah absolutely thanks so much tim
1: Once again, thanks to James for doing the podcast. As I said before, please go read the Writes of Ricky Sanchez feature. It's a great feature. James is an awesome writer. Uh, does a lot of cool stuff. Be sure to follow him if you don't and check him out. As for me, you can find me on Twitter, at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA, and the pages of Washington Post are on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go find this podcast and give it a five-star rating and review wherever you get it, whether it's Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Radio Radio Public, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, Um you know, go, go check us out. Give us a five-star rating review. It really helps us out a lot when you do that. Thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Glenn's the NBA editor of the Post. He's a good dude, big Mass fan, uh, hoping that they get some luck in the lottery next week. Um, but be sure to go check out uh, their music and check out their work because they do, they do great stuff. And a lot of people have commented to me on the music on the podcast in the past. So go support them. Be sure to go check out our other podcasts at the Washington Post. We're going to have some new podcast pages, I think, soon, which are, are exciting. I'll, I'll publicize those when they happen. But in the meantime, go check out Constitutional, Presidential, Letters of War, uh, Retropod. Uh, Can you do that? We've got a lot of great stuff at the Post. So be sure to go check all that out at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. Thank you, as always, to all of you for listening. And we'll talk to you all again soon.